my name is Jeremy Brown. Uh, my family and I have been going to Mansfield Bible for about 11 years now. Uh, I teach uh, a lot of your first through fourth grade twice a week, so uh, plug in behind Matt for Donna. If you're not teaching the kids, you're missing out. They're very forgiving. They have no short-term memory. And when you want to talk about faith like a child, it's the best part of your week. So I'll be reading from Revelation 2, uh, 1 through 7, ESV. To the church in Ephesus, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Yet, this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. I promise you right now, Jeremy, that um, you're Donna's favorite person. <laughs> Giving a plug for the children's. Uh, I know he's uh, been involved for a while, 11 years. Wow. Uh, watch the kids grow up. Um, this morning, we, in our, in our change of uh, services and so forth, the first hour at 9 o'clock, we had our institute. Uh, went off really good. Awesome. Uh, uh, Tamara, you did a good job and really appreciate the way that you handled the subject of prayer. Uh, the course that's going on now in our institute is uh, maturing in Christ or to be how we can grow in our faith and the things that it involves. So this morning they were looking at prayer. Next week, I think it's will of God and I believe uh, Tim, is that right? Tim will be in there. And so really excited about what's going on in the institute. You can go online, you can see the course and the individual classes that are going on in the, in the Institute right now. Uh, one of the things that you wanna make sure that you realize is while there is an opportunity to sign up for tracks in this particular, uh, in this, it's always like this for me. Every time I start out here, it's kinda like, all right, Greg, get the, it's called a, a password. There you go. All right. I don't know why I give that away because I should be able to be calm up here. But you're never calm when you look at it and you go, hey, this thing's throwing signals at you. But in the Institute, one of the great things is right now, this particular class is really designed to some of the foundations or just the fundamentals, the basis of our faith. Um, so if you've been wanting to grow in your faith, if you've been wanting to learn things like prayer, the word of God, the will of God, we're going to be looking at communion and baptism and some other things in regards to just some of the important aspects going on in this particular course. So you can go online and see what the class is and then join us for that. And then you can go back to your small group if there's a particular subject you want to look at. We want to continue to highlight that. I'm excited about what God's going to do in there in the days ahead because I believe that as we understand truth, as we understand the Word of God, 
This is truth, objective truth. In other words, this gives us the direction. The word of God does not need me to affirm it for it to be the word of God. The word of God is the word of God. And by it, we are guided and we walk and we live and we're able to conduct ourselves in this world in a manner worthy of the gospel by which we've been called. And so we as God's people want to follow after him in those things. And this is one way that we can uh, take steps in the direction of spiritual growth and maturity that the body of Christ, you as part of God's people, are responsible to do individually in growing in your faith. There's steps you have to take to continue to grow. We want to learn God's word. We want to grow in a passion for him. And that's kind of a little bit of what the message is today. And we're looking at uh, uh, the seven churches. So I want to start a new series. And in this series, we're looking at the seven churches. I've been thinking about different things for a while. You know, this last summer, we talked about uh, the five solos. We talked about alone, that it's, it's the scripture alone that is our authority. It's Christ alone. There's no other way by which salvation can happen. It's only through Christ. We looked at, we looked at grace alone. It's a, it's a gift. It's an amazing outpouring of the love of God towards us. We looked at the fact that, that, <clears throat> that it's by faith, and it's faith alone. You didn't bring anything. You, you don't offer anything. You come simply believing God to do what he said he would do. And then ultimately, it's to the glory of God alone. We looked at atonement. We would understand what our salvation is. When we talk about atonement, that we understand the key issues in regards to atonement. When we walk into this series, when we're looking at the seven churches, the question that we're asking is, what does Christ say to the churches? It's really important that we would have ears to hear, that the Spirit would speak to us today. As I've been praying for some time now, and as in this series, I would pray, especially this week, that the Spirit of God would speak to us, his people. So let's ask him to do that. Let's pray. Father God, I, I do come before you this morning. I, I, find that, I find that in and of myself, Father, it's always an amazing thing that, Lord, to be able to communicate your word. Father, I, I know there's things that you've taught me about your word, just amazing to me the truths that are here, the way you've revealed who you are, your plan and your purposes. And ultimately, Father, the, the opportunity that just to surrender and to humble myself and to take you at your word. There's so much peace there, Father. There's peace when we understand that we rest in the work of your son. Father, that you would establish us in your son, Jesus Christ, that you would begin a work in us and that you would perfect that work and you would grow us. For Father God, today we ask that you would speak to us, your people. You go past all of the shortcomings, the iniquities, the sins of the speaker, of the servant, that Father, you would speak to us, that your spirit would move among us. Father, to be honest, some of us came in this morning we came in and, you know, discouraged and may you lift us up. Some came in, Father, we're still hanging on to, to things that we haven't let go of that's, that's keeping us from, from growing in our faith. May today be the day that we let go of those. That, Father, you would work in us, your people, that you would speak to us by your spirit. This we pray in Christ's name, amen. So in this series, as we begin, there's seven churches and I'm, I gotta 
I got a chart up here. If you go ahead and throw that up there, might as well leave that up there for a minute. So in this chart, there's seven churches. There's seven cities. These were actual cities. So uh, Apostle John's on, uh, on the island of Patmos, and he's there uh, receiving this revelation. And so he writes these down in chapters two and three in the book of Revelations. And there's seven, there's seven cities there which had, had churches in those cities. So this week we're looking at Ephesus. But what's interesting is each one of these letters had a little bit of a format to them. You see in the, in the next column after the city, there's, there was a praise of Christ. Every city had a praise except for one city. And that was the church of Laodicea. You've heard of Laodicea and we'll look at that when we get there. Then there's a confrontation. In other words, there's, a, there's an aspect where Jesus is speaking to the church and there's some things that have to get set in order. And he has some for every church but two, the one at Smyrna and the one at Philadelphia. Smyrna was the suffering church. of Philadelphia we know, is known as the evangelistic church. So it'll be interesting when we get there. And then he gives us instructions or correction uh, on how to correct those things. And then there's every one of them ends with a promise that if we follow through with these things, we would, we would, uh, we would receive those blessings. So these are actual churches. Uh, some would say that these are churches like referring to periods of time throughout history. I, I, don't, I don't necessarily take that view. I know there's some godly men that do. I personally think it was seven actual churches in an actual point of time at the time of this writing. So they were real churches with real events, with real problems and real exhortations. But also they are messages to all the churches because he says at the end in verse seven, he says, let he that hath an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to not the church at Ephesus, but to the churches. And I believe that while there was a message specifically for these churches at that time, there's still messages for us today. So it's important for us to understand and realize that as we walk into this chapter, as we walk into this letter that's been written to that church, that there is a message for us to hear and may our hearts be open to hear it today. May the spirit speak to us and we have ears to hear it. You talk about the Ephesus or the city of Ephesus there in verse one, it says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Uh, when you talk about the city of Ephesus, it was a seaboard city. It was connected by highways into Asia, the interior of Asia and, and all the major cities of the, of the time. Uh, it became the capital of, Rome, of the Roman province of Asia Minor under, the, under Caesar Augustus. And they estimate that probably the size of this town was 250 to 500,000 people, which is pretty significant. Sometimes we always, I think, think of our, the Bible towns as being these little like communities, but this was a very large city. And it says there in, uh, to, in, in the text, to the angel of the church at Ephesus, the words of him. Who's the him? Who's, who is this? Well, I believe it's Jesus. It's referring to him as he's writing to this text. In fact, if you go back into chapter one and just read with me, this is just too good not to read. Starting in verse 12, it says, this is Apostle John writing, then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the son of man clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. 
His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like varnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held the seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full, full strength. Boy, that, that can preach, by the way. I just want you to know, isn't that amazing? An amazing picture of who our Lord is. Verse 17, John says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Have you ever noticed that? That when people face the holiness and the majesty of God, you know where they always end up at? On their face. You think there's a reason why in the scriptures it tells us with a humble heart, with a contrite heart, is what God seeks. That's how we approach him. But he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not, I am the first and the last, the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. So who, who, is, it that has, who is it that had died and who lived forevermore? It'd be Christ. These are the words that Christ is speaking to the, to the church. And I love how it says it's the words of him who holds the seven stars. It's the idea whereby it stresses his authority to protect and enable the work of the church. It also says there that he walks among. So it has the idea that Jesus is a constant and active presence in the midst of the church, the work of the church. How important is that? You know, I often have to remind myself when I look at the building, the building means nothing. You guys have nice, comfortable chairs. I remember in Tanzania sitting in these little, little stools that I wondered if it would hold me up. You know, the building has nothing to do with it. It's Christ that walks in the midst of us. It's his active presence and uses the word to the angel. What is that? Some people would kind of think maybe some type of angelic being. I struggle with that because I never read in scriptures where angels are to repent and he, they're told to repent in this passage. I also doesn't seem like it makes sense that Jesus would tell John who would tell an angel. But in the New Testament, and probably what I think is the best explanation is often in the New Testament, angel is used as a messenger, as the idea of a messenger. So that would kind of mean that maybe these were the were kind of representative leaders or pastor of the church. Nothing makes you more aware when you read something like that when you are pastor in a church of the grave responsibility of the one that you will stand before one day. And then it says, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. What in the world is that? Well, he tells us in verse 20 of chapter one, the very last verse, he says, as for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels or the messengers of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So he makes it very clear who he's speaking to. He's speaking to the leaders and to the church. Dear people of God, if there's ever a time that we should ever take into seriousness of what's being said, it's when we approach the scriptures. Because this is when God is speaking to us. And this morning, I, I, I challenge you to open your hearts, to, to prepare the way. I don't know what you walked in with today. Maybe there's sin. Maybe there's bitterness. 
Maybe there's grudges. Maybe there's things that are going on in your life, inappropriate relationships that have been keeping you from hearing what the Spirit has said to you and what he has to say to you this morning. Today is a day that we would lay those aside. As Jesus takes a very strong look at the churches and he begins to communicate with them, in verse two and three, he gives us praise, but the first, word, first two words out of, in that verse, he says, I know. In every single letter, Jesus says, I know. He knows exactly what is going on in the church. He knows exactly what's going on in your life and my life. It's not like Jesus kind of looking around and he's like, okay, uh, what's the institute doing over there? What's that class, what that, what, is that class trying to hide something from me? That's not how it works. He knows everything. He knows everything that's going on. Every single letter he writes to them, he says, I know. And you know, right off the bat, that, gives, that kind of sobers me, right? It means that there's no pastor getting away with sin. There's no pastor getting away with leading his people astray. That means there's nothing that's gonna happen that God isn't gonna deal with. There's, there's no church getting away with sin or heresy that, that Christ knows what's going on. Sometimes I think we act in a way that we think God has no idea what's going on. But God knows, Christ knows what's going on in the church. There is only one in control, and it's not us. It's Jesus. The other thing is that I'm incredibly encouraged by these words because it tells me that there is no one that cares about the church more than Jesus. There's nobody that cares more about this body of believers than Jesus. He loves you, he cares for you, he died for you, he rose again, he gave you grace and mercy. That's an amazing picture of our Lord. He goes on, he says, I know, and the first thing he begins to address is some of the things that the church of Ephesus is or was. He says, I know your works. First thing we learn about Ephesus is that it was a serving church. It's a church that served. The idea of works is the idea of actions or activities, their accomplishments, their achievements. They were a very active and engaged church. You gotta understand that right off the bat. We can look in Ephesus and the book of, of Ephesians and see some of the things that were, were going on in the church. They were active and engaged. It also says, I know your, your works and your toil. They were a sacrificing church. The idea of your toil is labor to the point of weariness. I always, whenever I think of weariness, I always think of different things like working out in the yard, been digging some, you know, you start digging, you get tired. But the thing that I always remember, the time I was the most weary was when I was wrestling. I remember one of my first matches I ever wrestled, and I've probably shared this before, and I actually won. And I, <laughs> I'll never forget it because you go out there and you're standing there and this, the ref's holding your arms, right? And you're just like this. And so the winner, he raises their arm in the air, and I'll never forget he rose my arm in the air because I actually won. And he rose the arm in the air and, you know, they did their little deal and I'm holding my arm up there and then he just lets go and it went like that. I was like, oh my gosh. I never knew anything that was so wearisome, that wore me out, that labored. This was a church that was sacrificing their time 
their energy and their effort. And they were doing that and giving to the Lord. They worked hard. They were a sacrificing church. So Jesus says, I know your, I know your works. I know your toil. Then he says, I know your patience, endurance. Your patient endurance. It literally has the idea of that capacity or that ability to endure. It talks about their staying power. In other words, they were remaining in their course. They weren't being thrown off by everything of the day. They were staying their course and they were staying there and they were enduring that patiently. It was incredible. Also then he says, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. They were a biblically sound church too. They could not bear, they could not tolerate, they could not endure those who were evil, those who would come in and they would say they were apostles and they were leaders, they tested them and they found them to be false, they found them to be liars. This is a biblically sound church. It tells us in verse six that they did not put up with the Nickelodeons, whom God says I hate. We're gonna look at that in a couple of weeks when we look at another church. I don't wanna spend a lot of time on the Nickelodeons, but nevertheless, they didn't put up with them and had the idea of this kind of the freedom in Christian living, kind of this idea of kind of doing whatever they kind of thought and they were still saved. You know, I always love those statements. I don't, that people sometimes say, you know, as they're going down the road and they're, they're kind of living their own life and they're saying, hey, God and me are good. We're all good, man, we're all good. Yeah, I just read it here, it doesn't sound like it. No, no, God and I are good. Who's their authority? This church didn't put up with that. They were detecting those who were evil. They were, they were discerning false teaching. They were holding and guarding the good deposit that had been given to them. They were holding the faith. They were a biblically sound church. And then he goes on and he says in verse three, I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and you have not grown weary. Now they were a suffering church as well. The idea of enduring patiently and, and bearing up under the, under the burden, under the, under the struggle of the work. Why were they doing that? For his namesake. This wasn't a church that was doing it for the glories of the moment or to, to kind of pat themselves on the back and say, hey, look what we've accomplished. They were serving, they were doing it for, the, for his namesake. They were suffering for Christ. A lot of good things going on here in the church. In fact, if we just stopped right here, we would go, wow, there's some really good things happening here. Some of these things and many of these things, actually, we teach passionately here at NBC. These are things we want to see within the church. We want to be biblically sound. We want to be about the work. We want to be engaged serving God. Those are things that we need to be doing as his children. But then Jesus says there in verse four, he says, but I have this against you. I always think, my gosh, those kind of words would cause my heart to drop, wouldn't it? When, 
when you think everything's going so well and you're working so hard, you're holding up the word of God, you're watching out for false teaching and you're standing there and you're thinking, hey, I'm doing all these things, man. And then Jesus says, but I, I've got something against you. And your heart drops. I thought I had all the bases covered. I mean, I thought I was doing all, I mean, I was going to my Bible study, I was reading and I was doing all these scenes, man. I thought everything was covered. And Jesus says, but I have this against you. Well, some things were, were going great, some things weren't going great. And he says there in verse four, but I have this against you that you have abandoned the love you had at first. I want you to understand right off the bat when he says you abandoned that love you had at the first, he's not talking about first in time, he's talking about first in priority. I don't know about you, Every time I read that, and I've taught through this before, I've looked at this passage before, whenever I stop to think about first and priority, man, turn the, turn the lights back in, right? Well, where's, where's God at in my life? He's the priority in my life. It strikes me really quickly. And there's a difference between leaving something and abandoning something. There's a difference between, well, not leave, excuse me, I said that. There's a difference between uh, uh, losing something and abandoning something. What happens when we lose something, what we lose it. And then we start going, well, where is that? We start looking for it. Uh, one of the great uh, additions to my home recently was the little thing, the Alexa thing, you know, because Lydia loves to leave her phone all over the house, right? And so she would go, Greg, will you call my phone? Greg, will you call my phone? Yeah, all right, call my phone, call my phone. And now she just goes, Alexa, where's my phone? And then, you know, do, 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 you know, here it is. I, how wonderful, right? Because, because she left it somewhere, right? And she's trying to find it. This isn't what the text is talking about. It's not talking about that they left their first love, they abandoned their first love, they put it down, and they walked away from it. This is a church that was doing well who somewhere along the line, at some point, they had lost their first love. They had left it, they had abandoned it. Yeah, this is a time for us to really kind of be honest right here. To be open. And I'm not talking about to the condemnation of our adversary. I'm really, there's no interest there. Our adversary is always gonna tell us everything that's wrong and tell us we're no good. But this is a time that we open ourselves to the spirit of God. To let him pull on those doors that we've been working so hard to keep closed. Those things that the spirit's been knocking on for a while. But yet we've been just keeping that door, ignoring it, looking the other way. It's the way we do when we have ought with people, don't we? We look the other way. We don't embrace, we look the other way. That's what we do to the Lord. It's time that we listen to the convicting of the Holy Spirit and how he's speaking to us this morning. Let me ask you a question. Have you left your, have you left your first love? Have you left God as the priority of your love in your life? Have you kind of grown cold towards the Lord? Has worship gone stale? I don't mean in the good feeling moments. I mean in the time when it's just you and God and you need to worship 
Has it gone stale? Has your relationship with God kind of become ritual or mechanical? Like you go through the routines where these are the things I'm supposed to do rather than a relationship. Talking a couple of times this week, it was kind of funny because I wrote this down about a week ago thinking of this exact thing here and I was thinking of the old hymn and twice this week, two different people mentioned the hymn, uh, the hymn to me and that line that goes, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. How easy is it for us to do that, right? Dear people of God, it's not a time for our ears to go blocked. It's not a time for our hearts to go hard. Has your relationship with God been drifting? You know what I mean? Well, you start moving your own direction and your own way, and as long as everything's kind of going fine, you know, your relationship with God really isn't a priority? Or has your relationship kind of grown mechanical with the Lord? You know, like you do this and you do this and you do this and you, you think everything's great and then something happens and now you're mad at God because you're like, hey God, I've been, you know, I've been at Bible study, I've been reading my Bible and I've been praying and now bam, what is up with this God? If we were honest in here, it would be really surprising the number of us that at times have been really upset with God over the things that have happened in our lives. Because we don't understand who the king is and who the servant is sometimes. It's with a humble heart that we approach him, with, with a content, contrite, and humble heart that we approach our God. You see, it's in these times, it's in these times when we, when we find ourselves the most stale that most of the time what we do is we, we put on the earmuffs. We close out the heart. We ignore the, we ignore the signals to us that the Spirit is speaking and we ignore it and we walk away from it. And I'm calling you, dear people of God, you are God's people if you know Christ. To hear what the Spirit is saying in your life, don't be thinking of somebody else. If you're thinking of somebody else right now, the Spirit's not speaking, you're speaking. You need to hear what the Spirit has to say. So Jesus speaking to them, he gives three imperatives in verse five. And as he begins to correct them, in verse five, he says, remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at the first. The first imperative is to remember. It's a call to reflect, to go back and recall the past. It's a recognition of our true condition. There's times when I look at my life and I think, wow, I remember that time where it was so sweet, right? And it's usually for me an indicator that I've kind of drifted. Where I think of an example in the scriptures, I think of the prodigal son, you remember him? He goes and he gets his inheritance and he goes off and he lives off and, the, and lives it up and the economy changed and bad things happen, he spends it all. So now he has to hire himself out and he's working out there with the pigs and the food he's given to the pigs looks good. He's hungry and then he remembers. He doesn't remember the graciousness of his father. He doesn't remember 
all of the things that his father had. He just remembers how his father treated the servants. And he says, hey, they're taken better care of. And he turns and he goes back. He humbles himself and he returns. Do you remember those times in worship? You see, it's important to remember. I remember when I came to Christ, I was so excited. I mean, it was unbelievable. Just the, the truths of God's word. And man, I remember, all right, I gotta go take care of this at school. So I remember going up to the biggest bully in school. No, it wasn't me, I promise. <laughs> Went up to the biggest bully and just said, Jesus loves you. You know, he kicks me in the shin. And I went, wow, that was pretty easy. You know? And how many times do I have to repent of myself now when I hold my mouth? Because I'm afraid of a reaction. We need to remember the passion that we had. I, I, there's times when I get with different people and we start talking about the scriptures. And man, we can just go a couple hours easily. And then we're upset because we have to leave because we've been enjoying what the, what the scriptures say and, and what it means to us. Have you lost that? Have you drifted away from that? Has God not been the priority? So therefore, when you read the scriptures, it's, it's, it's not a priority to hear what your God has to say. The second imperative in this passage is, is repent. It's to change mind or purpose. When we repent, let me see if I can describe this. When we repent of those things in our lives that are holding back the flood of God's passion and love. God loves us, but we don't experience it because we're hanging on. You know, you always hear about forgiveness, right? Forgiveness isn't about the other person, it's about... <laughs> about you letting go of things. There's times in our lives that we find ourselves growing distant from God and it's because there's things we need to repent of, we need to turn from. In fact, I was thinking about this and I was, uh, these are, some of these things are hard things sometimes and I know when I think about them, they're hard for me, but all of a sudden, you know, you start realizing, you know, I'm sitting here going, if, if I don't have passion for God, if I'm, if I'm finding my relationship cold or stale, if we find the church today moving away from God, well, probably because we haven't done any repenting in a long, long time. If we started buying into the ways of the world and we start thinking it's all about self instead of about God, you see, when we repent, we begin, we begin to turn away from my ways to God's ways. We turn from a self-centeredness to a God-centeredness. We kind of turn from my truth to God's truth. It begins to change everything and how we are able to experience the passion. I'm always, chug I used to break my heart. I used to go, oh, you just don't understand. I thought, felt like I needed to 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 just give them more information, right? And people say, well, I already tried the church thing. You've heard it. I already tried the church thing. I already did the praying stuff. All that it doesn't work. I'm like, yeah, because you went into expecting. You went in wanting something. You went in on your terms. God doesn't work that way. 
What are those things in your life that you need to deal with? You see, repentance is a daily thing. It's something that I, on a daily basis, find myself acknowledging. And it's not, dear people of God, just like, oh, I'm not loving God enough. It's more than just that. Oh, there's a problem in my relationship with God. Now it's turning from it and beginning to put in those things in my life. Same thing works. Same thing and everything. I don't care what it is. Oh, I'm having an inappropriate relationship at work. Stop. Turn and begin to put those things in your life. Every now and then I have a I have young guy or whatever say, you know, been married a few years, several years, and man, I'm struggling, man. I don't, it's not like I have the same feelings like when we first got married. I said, hey, bud, it's too late. Now you choose to love. Now you invest in that relationship. You're sharing life. Dear people of God, if you're, if you're walking with God and those things grow cold, it is turning from those. What bitterness do you have that's keeping the, the floodgates of God's passion and work in your life, keeping them because you won't let go? What grudges are you holding? What relationships are you getting into that aren't, a, aren't appropriate, that aren't growing your relationship with God? They're taking a priority over the priority of God and you've left your first love. He's not the priority anymore. It's the choice of the believer to make these decisions as a Christian in Christ that you now can turn from those things and yield yourself to God. It's to repent of our lack of affection for him. To repent of our idolatry when we begin to worship a way of life. We begin to worship the things that we own. We begin to worship the philosophies of this world, to repent from those and turn to him, to repent of our apathy and our complacency and our indifference. All of us can do that. All of us can do that. Where are we at as believers? And then he says to do, this is the third imperative, do the works that you did in the first place. See, it's not just activity, but it's from a place of passion and love for the Lord. How we love God, how we love Christ impacts others. And he gives a warning there in verse, in the last part of, he says, uh, remember, uh, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. There's a warning, if you don't repent, it's amazing if you go to Ephesians chapter one, I think it's verse 15, where Paul talks about how the, the, all of the area had heard of the love of Ephesus for all the believers. That was in the first century. By the fifth century, the, the church didn't even exist. How often, how often do we as churches grow out of our love and our passion for God? You see our activity, our, our actions, they are to flow out of our relationship, our love, and our passion for God, not the other way around. And this only happens when we humble ourselves before God. In verse seven, he says, 
He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I always love that because I always remember the first time I ever read it, I was like, hey, we all have ears, right? Everyone in here, I, think, I don't think anybody's missing any ears. But the picture is, are you gonna listen to the Spirit speak to you? And he says, he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who conquers. Who are those that conquer? Those who are saved by grace through faith. Nothing else. We don't bring anything else. Those who are saved through Christ to believe that God will do what he said to do. And he says, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And, and the first time we hear about the tree of life, it was in the garden of Eden. The last time it's in the new heavens. Don't grow discouraged. Don't grow weary. Humble yourselves before God. What are those things that God has touched in your life that he's speaking to, that you need to deal with, that you need to address? And then set them aside. It's because of the mercy of God and the grace and the love of God that we are more than conquerors. And that who we are as Christ, that we at Mansfield Bible Church, young and old, men and women, that we would have a passion and a love for God but we will hinder that passion. We will hinder that passion when we hold on to those things that are stealing our love. We can go through all the activities. We can be really good at teaching the word. We can be doing all those things, but there is, there is not a hardness of heart. It's not a be, be mechanical way. It's a way in which we yield ourselves and the work and the love of God flows through us because of our love and work in him. Let's pray. Father God, this morning, I just pray that as we think through these things that, Father, I just pray your spirit speaks to us. It's so easy as a believer, Father, just to kind of get going with the norms of the day, the activities of the day. And Father, just to kind of Kind of, kind of rest in those. To rest in our schedules, to rest in, Father, the activities. Oh yeah, we complain about being busy and all those things, but at the same time, it never allows us to slow down and really look at the heart of the issues. And our busyness it causes us to ignore those things that, that sometimes, Father, we can't ignore any longer if we're gonna grow in Christ. And so, Father, I pray, I just, I just pray, Lord, your spirit would have its way. I know, Father, your spirit's been constantly just touching my own heart. I pray, Lord, it's not just me, but that, Father, many here this morning, that your spirit would speak into their heart and guide them in the way and the direction that, that they need to go. And then, Father, give them faith Father, give them the courage and the strength to overcome those things that you might work your work in their lives. In Christ's name, amen.